we are going to move to the book of Ezekiel again. We are in Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34 and verse 11. Uh, as we consider this verse, I, I, I have one question that I would like to ask you, and that is, how does one shepherd the flock of God? What does it look like to rightly pastor a flock? What is the appropriate technique? What are the appropriate responses? And how does one go about that? Well, the answer is, quite simply, one should shepherd as God shepherds. That, that, is the, that is the plan, that is the example, that is the perfect pattern. And, and we each individually, as we'll see, have the cloth to fit that plan as we understand how God would work. Now, as we're in the 34th chapter here of Ezekiel, we, we have come through the major portion of the prophetic section of the book where Ezekiel has been limited in his speech. And in Ezekiel 33 and verses 21 and 22, he was given the gift of speech. In other words, his mouth was unloosed. He had not been allowed to speak freely unless the Lord had specifically given him directive to do so. And now he has been allowed to speak. This is because this is what we call the night messages from 3321 all the way through chapter 39 are these night messages. He has one night in which to proclaim to the exiles the destruction of Jerusalem that has already occurred and that the next morning, the refugees from Jerusalem will come and they will spread the news throughout the camp. And you know it will go like wildfire. As quickly as if there were cell phones and televisions and everything else to spread that news, that Jerusalem has fallen. And that it has fallen badly. That the entire city has been destroyed. And that its entire population has been destroyed. And this is going to be devastating news. This has been Ezekiel's consistent message. But they have not heard. And they have not believed. They have held to their own hearts that no, this will not happen. This is our beloved city. This is our beloved place. And nothing will happen to it. And we can establish, we can so understand that position because we become so enamored and so trusting in the stability of these United States. Assuming that nothing will ever happen. We are the most powerful nation on earth. We are the greatest nation on earth. No one is going to defeat us. Well, until it's God's time. So may we recognize that the perspective of the captives in Babylon is very much our perspective. And I think we can relate pretty clearly if we consider that. So then, as he comes and he unlooses his voice, in chapter 33 he brings this rebuke upon the people in general, and then in chapter 34 at the beginning, which we just concluded, he brings the rebuke upon the shepherds. First time he's used the phrase shepherds, those that are the leaders of Israel. It is a broad term. It reflects not only the political leaders, but the religious leaders. So he is now embracing all of the leadership, again, on an individual basis, because Ezekiel is an individual book, unlike the other prophets. It is not a nationalistic warning. And so now in chapter 34, he has brought this warning against the shepherds. 
and the, Lord, the word of the Lord has, has come to him. He has chastened the false shepherds, and we recognize how easy it is to be a blind guide. This is a, and we know that uh, the, those blind guides are leading the blind into the ditch, as Matthew 5.14 tells us. And, and again, we have no problem making a parallel in our own day and age. We see plenty of shepherds who are blind and caring not for the flock and, and leading them blindly into the ditch, proclaiming that which is nothing near the word, going in and telling stories and introducing a scripture with a, a verse and then going on and talking for 30 minutes about nothing but their own lives or current events and calling that a sermon. What is it that people need to be fed on? Indeed, the word of God. Well, as we consider how easy this is to be a false shepherd, we must recognize that we must guard our hearts. And you might think, well, well how does that apply to me? Well, I think we'll see as we move along. So as we recognize this text in our passage in Ezekiel 34 in verses 11 to 16 for tonight, what we're going to see is, is there is going to be a picture for us that's painted. A picture of how one is to be sheltered. When, when the storms of life are raging, and for these people, their entire existence and foundation that they have been clinging to is going to be destroyed and shattered the next morning. So how is it that they can be cared for? How can we be comforted in the storms of life? When cancer diagnosis comes, when financial ruin comes, when all of these things come heralding into our life at breakneck speed, when we're attacked by others, what are we to do? Well, here we see the answer in our text today. And we'll see a beautiful picture of God's caring attributes that are displayed for us. And, and that's the title of our message for this evening. God's caring attributes. As we look through this, we're going to see four different aspects of God's attributes in these seven verses. Four or six verses. Four different attributes of God's caring. We're going to see God's protection. We're going to see God's provision. We're going to see God's peace. And finally, God's punishment. Let's look at uh, our, our verses together. Look first with me at verses 11 to 13 for God's protection. God's protection here in our first point. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. Notice first who is doing the work. It is Yahweh himself. Behold, I myself will search for them. The, the emphasis on this is unmistakable. It is he alone who will search for them. It is he alone who will seek them out. He does not leave this work to others, but takes personal responsibility. The job has been botched badly by others. The shepherds have failed miserably. The time for caring, compassionate attention is necessary, and this is the role of a shepherd. 
one who himself will be a part of this work. The Lord Yahweh will do it. The job is too important to be messed up again. You know, as my kids were small and they were endeavoring on different projects, you know, sometimes it was fun if you gave the, asked them to go out and, and mow the lawn. But pretty quickly, you know, although they were strong enough to get the mower, the electric mower started and to drive it around, um, you could see they, they could not do it. They didn't know what they were doing out there and they would botch it and they'd become frustrated. Well, what would we do as a parent, as a dad? We'd go out and we'd help, wouldn't we? We wouldn't just leave them out there and kind of continue giggling at them in some cynical and sick way. No, we'd go out and we'd help and we'd be a part of that and encourage them. I'd want to involve them. I'd want them to be a part of it so they would know how to proceed. Well, this is what God is doing for us. He is stepping in and showing us, this is how you care for my flock. This is what I expect. This is the, the same care we see in Psalm 23. Think of that perspective. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. God is the one who does this. He doesn't leave it to someone else. Oh yeah, take the flock and, and haul them down there by the creek and, and you know, hopefully there'll be a green spot for them to graze. No, that, that's not what God is doing. That's not his care. He brings a personal impact. And what peace does that type of caring bring? This is the type of caring we each need to bring. But one who makes each problem his own. One who puts the other's needs above his own. One who is ready to seek out the lost. What, what does Philippians 2.3 say? Consider others more highly than yourselves. Who's the call to shepherd too. Well, if we're to consider others' needs, that's to all of us. Everyone is called to that role, to consider others above ourselves. And of course, we remember the good shepherd at the house of Zacchaeus, which we talked about this past Sunday in our morning service from John 19 and verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That was the culminating point of the Lord's salvation of Zacchaeus. This little man was lost. Well, he wasn't physically lost. We knew he was up in the tree. But he needed to be found and saved. And that is what the Lord does. It's beautiful to recognize what's going on in these texts and to see the, the uniqueness of this. In verse 11, these verbs, search and seek. The, verbs, the verb search there in the Hebrew means to care about. It means to inquire, to examine. So there is an overall examination about what's there, but it, but it is somewhat superficial. It's, it's to find. There's someone out there that's lost, and I've got to find them. I want to make sure where they are. When people are not a part of our church, when they are not here and they've been here for a while, we don't just say, oh, well, they're gone. No, we have to find out where they are, and it's something that we have to personally be about. That's what a shepherd does. The word seek is a beautiful term, and it really, it's, it's a technical term, and it has to do with undertaking the inspection of a sacrifice. Well, what was required of a sacrifice? It was to be spotless, wasn't it? 
one that was without fault, that was not lame. And that was the acceptable sacrifice to the Lord. So when it talks about this element of seeking them out, it is literally looking at the nuances of, of what they are and how they are. Is this one one that is prepared? Is this one that is okay? We don't just find them and say, oh, okay, there we, are. we know where they are. How are they doing? How is their spiritual lives? What is the condition We grieve over them. We consider them. So God seeks out the lost and he finds them. Then he is among his scattered sheep in verse 12. As the shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep. He is there with them. Beloved, our God is with us. He knows our needs. When when things go wrong in our lives, we need not wonder where we might possibly turn because God is here. He is here to comfort and to be with us. So these sheep that are scattered, he will tend. Likely they're rattled by the storms of life. They're confused about God and his word. They're tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine. Wanting their ears tickled because it's so much easier than hearing the the depths of the word of God. And our job is to be among them too. Not assigning that to others' task but to be caring for, to be considering, and to be among them. The end of verse 12 says, God will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. This is a very important phrase. The cloudy and gloomy day is speaking of the day of the Lord. Ezekiel references this a few chapters earlier in Ezekiel 30 and verse 3 where it says there in Ezekiel 33, for the day is near, even the day of the Lord. It will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nature, for the nations. And scripture is replete with this phrase, cloudy and gloomy, in in Joel, in Zephaniah, in Isaiah, Jeremiah. We see it in the, the New Testament, in Acts 2, in 1 Thessalonians 5, very familiar section of scripture, even in Genesis 9. So what does it mean? It is alluding here that God is gathering his sheep on the day of the Lord. He is gathering the nation of Israel. He is, this is foretelling of Messiah's regathering. This is the national restoration. This is another one of those verses that convinces us that we are in an eschatological time which is a millennial, a premillennial perspective where there will be a thousand year millennial return that God will regather his sheep and they will function in a nationalistic sense. He'll bring them out from the peoples and gather them for their countries to their own land. Verse 23 further clarifies the messianic reference. If you look down there, it says in Ezekiel 34, 23, Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. He will feed them himself and be their shepherd. The Messiah will come and will do this. So many other great scriptures that reference this same theme. Go take a look at Jeremiah chapter 23 and verses 1 to 8. It is a beautiful summation of really the entire chapter in Ezekiel 34. Clearly this is God's protection in seeking and saving the lost, bringing them out from the peoples and gathering them. 
So after we see God's protection, the next thing that we see of God's caring attributes is his provision in the middle of verse 13. Look at that and read along with me if you would please. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and in all the inhabited places of the land. And I will feed them in good pasture. And their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in rich pastures on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock. This is God's provision for his flock. Notice the terminology that he uses here. On the mountains of Israel, by the stream, in all the inhabited places of Israel, in the good pasture. God is not just taking them to 7-Eleven for an all-you-can-eat hot dog buffet. This is why I encouraged you to go find that text in Isaiah 25 and verse 6. We're there, Isaiah 25, 6 says, The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on the mountain, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, the refined aged wine. Folks, this is going to be a great feast. This is the the all-you-can-eat shrimp and lobster buffet. This is the, the buffet at the Grand Hotel. Everything laid out, everything you could want. The abundant provision of God. You know, I, 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 having spent the last 10 years in California, we got an exposure to agriculture. Now, Central California is famous for its agriculture, and they produce a, a tremendous amount of food source for the world, actually. In Idaho, or in, in Montana, I was familiar with that as well, but Southern California, not so much. You see, it's basically a desert. I remember driving in to seminary after not being in California, but for a few weeks, and I drove by, and there was this horse out in this pasture. I mean, that horse had to eat so much dust to get even a nibble of grass. I, I just felt badly for it. But, but that is not at all what things were like where I grew up. In Montana, we used to flood irrigate these big hay fields. That was about all you could grow because the growing season was short. But with so much water, we would flood the fields with rubber dam ditches. And Grandpa and I would go out and we'd set those ditches in the morning and they'd flood all day. And the water would warm and the, the hay underneath, the new hay would become soft. And that was, that was our swimming pool in the summer afternoons. As kids, we'd go out and we'd frolic around in that water. And, and the hay would grow eventually as high as a horse's belly and we'd harvest and the stubble would be so thick you could walk on it. You wouldn't even go down to the ground. Now that was some serious good production. That was pasture. That is the type of picture that's painted for us. It is just absolutely elaborate. The picture that's painted for us is the, the land of milk and honey. It is the Shephela. It is the hill country out of Jerusalem down towards the Mediterranean Sea. It is the most gorgeous thing. It is this softly flowing plain that moves down towards the ocean. And for, it's like you have an ocean view for 40 miles down to the ocean. And these beautiful, soft, rolling hills. And it's absolutely gorgeous. And it's a land that they knew well and that they desired greatly as they're now in the deserts of Babylon. And you can bet that they longed for it. Well, God's caring attributes changed from protection to provision in the midst of verse 13, and here in the midst of verse 
15, they change from protection to peace. The second half of verse 15 reads, I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. There's several things to note here. First, like verse 11, who is doing the work? God is doing it himself. We don't see it so much in our English translations because it's really, really bad English, but it is I myself, I will lead. Twice in the beginning of this text, he emphatically places I myself in the text to make us absolutely clear that it is God who is doing this work. He is the one who is bringing this peace to his people. I myself will lead. I myself will bring them to rest. He is literally bringing them to rest or better yet, he is causing them to rest is a more literal translation. And if you're using a New American Standard, you'll note that there is a number one by that, by that verb there in the text for lead and it shows that he is causing them to rest god is the one that is bringing rest into their lives we often miss this in our lives don't we we're so busy with life work activities family oftentimes we just run hard all day long crash to wake up and do it all again tomorrow and nary give a thought to the gift of sleep that has come at the interim. We need to stop and realize that God is the one who gives us rest. It is a gift from him. As we talked about rest earlier in the book of Hebrews, we address this issue. And I confess that often I am not grateful for this incredible gift of sleep. Proverbs 19.23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life, We're so familiar with that verse, but why then this second parallel phrase, so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. The fear of the Lord leads to life, so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. That understanding, that awe of God brings us a peace. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? None will. None will. Sleep is such an amazing gift. Have you ever noticed you wake up from a fitful sleep, you wake up from a bad dream, ate a little too much, ate a little too late, too much on your mind, you roll, you toss, you turn, mind might be racing, no position is comfortable. What calms this? Prayer. Why? Because it reminds us that it is God who is in charge. It sets our minds straight when we're thinking we can't get this stuff off our minds and oh my goodness, what about that? What about this? All these options are going on. Things are going to explode. The sky is falling. No. Not until the Lord says it will fall. Not until the Lord says it fall. What can calm this? Again, it is prayer. So make sure God is getting the glory for your sleep. Then in verse 16 it says, I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, and strengthen the sick. We've spoken of him seeking and finding earlier, but notice another aspect of God's peace. He binds the broken and he strengthens the sick. Literally these words he's, he are the crippled and the weak he will bind up and strengthen isn't that an incredible aspect to recognize that god is binding through these times 
He is the one that is bringing peace throughout the most difficult times in our lives when physically we see no way out. You know, when I was halfway through seminary, I, I went through this crazy experience. I went through spring break, and the Saturday of spring break, as it was concluding, I, all of a sudden my back just absolutely went out. I could not walk. I could not move. I was in pain like I'd never experienced. They had given me epidurals. They were giving me IV painkillers. Nothing was touching it. It was absolutely horrifying. I felt like there was lightning bolts shooting down my leg and out my toes. And those of you that have had back problems, many can relate to this. I was helpless. I was beside myself. Wasn't but a very short time, I recognized that I was going to have to have surgery. I was fit to be tied. How am I going to finish the semester? Surgery at this point? I've worked so hard. This whole semester is going to be a loss. But finally it came to me. God knows it all. If I don't get back, he's got this. And if I do, it's because he's got this. Why should I be fearful? You know, I reflected on Matthew 6, 25 and 34, which I have preached to my father so many times about worrying and about not adding one day to our life, about looking at the lilies of the grass, how God clothes them, you know, more than Solomon, how we cannot do anything And I guess I recognized that I was worrying about all these things. I was very much like my dad. And the apple didn't fall far from the tree. Or as we recognize the familiar and wonderful words of 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your anxiety on him for he cares for you. What do we have to fear? God is with us. Isn't it interesting? Over 350 times in the scripture. 350 times God tells us, do not fear. I am with you. You are my children. I love you. Nothing will take you out of my hands. And how confident can we be in this? Completely because we've seen God's caring attributes. We've seen his protection. We've seen his provision. We've seen his peace. These are the things we can trust in. And as we trust in them, we trust in him, we also do them. This again is what we as shepherds need to do to seek the lost both in our church, in our communities, to protect them, to provide for them, to bring them peace that peace which passes all understanding because this is how God did it. And if this is the picture, this is how we must do it. You might ask, how is punishment a part of God's caring attributes here for our fourth point? It's a good question there at the end of verse 16. It says, but the fat and strong I will destroy. I will feed them with judgment. Well, in one respect, judgment keeps us on track. We know that from Hebrews 12, verses 7 to 11. That certainly is God's caring, yet that is more with respect to discipline than punishment. Yet when the wicked are punished, they too may even repent and turn to God, as Jude 23 tells us. But the situation here in verse 16 is different. The word here is destruction, The context sets up a contrast between the good and the wicked. So how is destruction a caring attribute? Well, it is because when God destroyed the wicked, it shows his faithfulness to his children. We often wonder, how is it that these horrible people get away with these horrible things? 
no one's getting away with anything. God is going to bring his punishment. He is putting his holiness and his caring attributes on display. And this is by saying, no, the wicked will not prosper. And no, the wicked will not go unpunished. I have said I will judge wickedness. And here before your eyes, I will judge it. As we think about this, this, this passage and the messianic intent combined with the nation of Israel, the, the language is clearly of nationalistic restoration and millennial references. All of this was unknown to Israel at the time. This again was God's showing his great care, giving them evidence of what would happen even amidst their captivity with the Babylonians. And indeed, he would do it, did he not? 70 years later when he would make a way for Ezra and Zechariah to return and to rebuild the temple and to begin the process of removing that captivity. But as yet it has not clearly come into view. That is still all future. The point is that clearly God is caring for his people, that he is protecting and providing, that he is bringing peace and even in punishment he is bringing comfort. This is what true shepherds are to do beloved this is what you and i must do because we all have a responsibility to follow christ do we not paul said in first corinthians 11 1 be imitators of me as i am of jesus christ we have a responsibility to care in this way for one another to consider one another in this way to put them above ourselves Had the shepherds of Israel done this, none of this would have been necessary. But the beautiful thing is that after the rebuke of the shepherds, we have this glorious picture of provision. It's only the beginning of the glorious picture. We're going to see God's continued amazing hand after we've seen some very dark and difficult things through Ezekiel. The rest of this section of the night vision is going to show us so much of God's hand. But the question becomes, what will you do? Each one of us is charged in a role as shepherd, in a role as leader. Remember, that is a very broad term. It is not speaking strictly of a pastor. It is speaking of anyone who is a leader. We are all in some capacity leaders. It's relatively easy for us with family to to push this aside We're constantly reminded of this task and we know that it gets more difficult, but we often shirk that responsibility. We move away and think that it's someone else. Is that not what our society had done when we decided that we were going to just allow the the public school system to care for our children? They're going to discipline our children. We're going to give the school system the right to do the discipline that we don't want to do in the 50s. Because we've come back and we've seen all the horrors of World War II and all the death. And and we don't want to be about this kind of a role. And then they abused it. Why? Because they never could extend the loving care of one who's a proper shepherd. Because these were not their own. We have to understand that this is our responsibility And not allow ourselves to forget, to recognize what God has called us to. He has called us to be part of this task. This is part and parcel of your salvation. It is caring for others. How would we delight to be cared for by another? 
think of that yourself and now extend that to those around you. Treat others as you would like to be treated. It's a good biblical principle. God has left you here because he has a job for you. Certainly we know that heaven is a far, far better place, but he's left us because we have a job to do. And more than that, we know that the scripture tells us that to whom much is given, much is required. I've often said, and, and many of you who have been in churches anywhere else, recognize the uniqueness of this body. How many, what a strong percentage of this body loves the Lord and loves his word in a deep way. Is that not more of God's provision? Why has he put us together like this? Why is it that there are so few other churches like this anywhere else in the country? Maybe it's because we have a pretty big job that needs done. A job that needs done inside these walls and a job that needs done outside these walls. And if we're not about that job, then we are not carrying through that which God has called us to. We're not following through with protecting, providing, and showing peace to those that we love, but more so that God loves. All the world around us is full of his children, full of those whom he desires to come to him. How do we show them love? You say, I don't know them. I don't know how to relate to them. I don't know what they are. I don't know what they understand. They're just like us. They understand one thing. They understand love. They understand protection. They understand provision. They understand peace because those are the universal languages that God has taught all of us. This is what we are to share. God has given us his perfect manual, his word, to care for these people, to care for one another. This is what will change our lives. It's not your wisdom. It's not my wisdom. It's not some pastor that can, you know, entertain you and bring you some wonderful stories and make you feel good. No, it's the word of God. As we close, think of the words of C.H. Spurgeon. Having joined the church of God, are any of you satisfied to be silent? Are you content to let those around you sink to hell? What? Never tell of Christ's love? What? Never speak of salvation to your own children? Can this be right? In God's name, wake up. What are you left on this earth for? If there is nothing for you to do, why are you in this sinful world? He's left us here with plenty to do. May we recognize it. May we embrace it. And may we go out understanding the rich privilege we've been given to shepherd the flock of God wherever they may be.